Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Recreational cannabis is now legal in New Mexico, and we've talked about what the law says and sort of outlined the nuts and bolts of what this means legally. But how is this all working out in the neighboring state of Colorado, which of course we know was one of the very first states to do this. They've already had years of experience with it in their community now. Yeah, and our very own Dean Staley traveled to Colorado specifically to talk to people about some of the issues that they've seen. Where they have had years of experience with legal marijuana and the lawmen and women there have a dire warning for New Mexico. Dean reported a three-part series on KRQE that got a lot of people talking. So Dean, have you received a lot of feedback since those reports aired? Gabby and Chris, uh, a tidal wave of feedback. Uh, Tons of emails, um, both directly to me and to the newsroom. And probably three quarters of them were, were, the, the tone was, wow, someone's finally telling us. I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, I think there was maybe uh, a sort of vacuum where people didn't feel like much was being talked about. Now that the law is here, what's going to happen? So I think that, so maybe three quarters of the emails were, wow, we're finally hearing something. Thanks for the reporting. We appreciate finally getting some insight uh, from people who have have lived this experience, prosecutors and a sheriff and and a a head of um, one of the departments at Denver Public Schools. Uh, and, and I should tell you, some of those people were critical, like, why didn't you do this a year before? Why didn't we know ahead of time, like before we passed this, which I think is a, a, a absolutely legitimate complaint. And my explanation was, you know, it's hard to know when to do a preview piece like this about what's to come with the new law, because as we all know, this legal pot was uh, at the roundhouse for years and pushed at the roundhouse by legislators, by lobbyists, before it got passed, you never know quite what year might be the year. Otherwise, you're just doing preview pieces on on bills that never become law. Right. And, and that's tough to do as a reporter year after year. So maybe for people who hadn't watched the pieces, um, your stories really touched on a lot of the problems that people noticed in Colorado. Not, I mean, we've heard, obviously, positive economic impact, but yours specifically focused on this is a warning of what's coming to New Mexico. Gabby, that's a great point because there may be some people in Colorado, maybe millions of, you know, tons of people in Colorado who are very pleased with legal pot. I can smoke it when I want. I can buy it when I want. There's no, you know, criminal element. I don't have to deal with, you know, getting arrested for this. So uh, this was not about that. Uh, how many people are celebrating this new freedom or how they feel about it. This was about the problems that in many ways were for not just unforeseen, but problems that arose despite promises that they would not. Okay, so in New Mexico, especially, one of the arguments for legal pot was always, look, once you once you legalize pot, the criminal side disappears. Just like, you know, buying a six-pack of beer. You don't have people, you know, shooting each other in a parking lot over a six-pack of beer, right? Because we're way beyond prohibition. You know, you have a, a really established alcohol market. It's regulated. Um, no one's making as one of our interviewees said, whiskey in their bathtub anymore to sell it on the street. So, you know, the promise was all of this, this, uh, this crime related to, 
illegal marijuana will disappear. That is clearly not the case. And that was one of the big takeaways from from talking to a prosecutor and, as well as a sheriff up in uh, Colorado. Some of the feedback that you got, you had mentioned, was the positive people sort of saying, thanks for reporting on this side. But I'm sure you received some negative feedback as well. What did people tell you who maybe didn't like your stories? Well, I think one of the biggest complaints, and this this struck me as a reporter, we always have blind side. So I, I'm, I'm happy to say maybe I you know, didn't spell this out well enough in the pieces, but there were a few people who said, oh, well, these aren't facts. These are just the opinions of prosecutors or uh, sheriffs, right, who are lawmen. I, I certainly understand that that criticism. What those people need to understand is, you know, you're talking about data. I mean, the fact is these lawmen are saying this. So that's a fact. Like this, we didn't make this up. These are really experienced people who have dedicated their entire lives to law enforcement saying, I was here before and during, before legal pot and during the first, you know, almost eight years of legal pot. And this is what I saw. So that's a fact. You know, it's their opinions, but it's a fact that these people, very experienced people, uh, respected people, um, have these opinions about it and will tell you what how it's affected their departments. It's huge. There has been a big spike in crime. We have seen an increase in crime. We have seen an increase in the impact on our communities. Now, if you're looking for data in terms of how, how you know, where, where, where's the research about what pot did to Colorado? These people are saying, you know, pot-related crimes went up. Where's the data? Look, folks, there, there just is no data about this sort of stuff. And, and pot is not unique. And I'll give you an example. If someone beats up their wife uh, because they're drunk, the, that person gets charged, hopefully, with domestic violence. There's no box that says this was related to alcohol. And there's no database that says, well, now we know how many alcohol-related crimes there were this year. That has never been done to my knowledge. Even DWI, I will remind you, is its own charge. It's not a alcohol-related alcohol charge. It is actually you're charged with being drunk while you're driving, right? Well, well pot's the same way. If someone shoots a dispensary guard because they're robbing all of the cash that's in this pot dispensary, there's no box to check that says, I mean, it just goes down as the same as if a security guard got shot at a bank or any other individual got shot. There's no, there's no system for tracking this as pot-related. So those numbers don't exist in Colorado. They won't exist in New Mexico. There's no provision in the law that we're going to track any sort of change. And I would, as far as I can tell from my research, it doesn't exist in any of the other 16 states that have legalized pot um, or any of the states in this in this country with uh, with alcohol or any other substance. Right. So I guess that's the, the I just need to make that clear the, the data is is almost non-existent in this in this case, if you're talking about a rise in crime and those crimes are specifically related to pot. Did both of the the sort of lawmen that you interviewed, the prosecutor and also the sheriff of Douglas County there, did both of them sort of indicate to you, I wish we start maybe tracking this. I, I hope that we can start tracking these sort of when marijuana is involved to get a better idea of this. Or did they just sort of say, you know, that data is not out there. It's not common for us to collect it. Did they give you any indication? District Attorney Brockler, who's now former district attorney because he was term limited after eight years, I think he had to leave office in January, was very clear. He's fought at the legislature in Colorado asking them to uh, create a system to track these sorts of crimes. So he's desperate that they do that. He, he you know, he feels like this has been a problem uh, as it relates to crime. And he believes that, and, and he has, by the way, I would say a little bit of, I wouldn't say that it's a conspiracy theory, but he's sort of saying, I don't think they, and he told me this, I don't think they want to know the answer. I don't think the people were making massive amounts of money. And in many ways, this is a big corporate, I mean, this is just like Anheuser-Busch and alcohol, right? I don't think Anheuser-Busch 
is going to be at the roundhouse lobbying to track domestic violence, at, you know, and find out how many domestic violence incidents were related to alcohol. Why would you, as an industry that makes its money selling this stuff? Well, the pot industry is no different. So uh, he's gotten resistance. They have not done that, but but sure, he would love to see more more tracking of this. I know in your story, um, yeah, that particular prosecutor mentioned violent crime specifically increasing as it relates to marijuana. And he was saying they hand counted those cases. Um, to the other side of this, some of our listeners might think, well, what's to say we don't already have a lot of like illegal grow operations or criminals robbing dispensaries and committing crimes? Wouldn't that still happen here even without recreational marijuana becoming legal? I mean, we also have broken the homicide record here in Albuquerque with more than 80 people killed before the summer ended. So I guess my question is, who's to say those crimes would not still continue without legalizing recreational marijuana? That's a great question. I, first of all, I don't think they exist. So when you say they continue, um, no one is knocking off um, recreational pot dispensaries because they don't exist yet, right? So this is a new thing. And I, I'm, I'm open to the argument that, oh, well, that's just another store. They're already robbing Subway restaurants. Why wouldn't they? People need to understand that as long as pot is federally illegal, um, these people are not able to use the banking system. So these dispensaries sit on mountains of cash. This is a cash business, and so it attracts the worst element. Um, that's why you have a dispensary guard to begin with. You know, you have an armed guard at the dispensary who gets shot and killed over this because the, the, the thieves are drawn to these mountains of cash. I mean, my example would be, what do you think would happen in Albuquerque given the amount of crime we have right now if every Walgreens said, you know what, we're only dealing in cash? I've been in Walgreens where I've seen people push entire carts of goods out, right? Just take them to the parking lot, stealing in front of everybody. And the, and the clerk says, hey, don't do that. And that's sort of the end of it. So we have a, a fair amount of stealing from these places now. Can you imagine? I mean, it's, so, so that's what, and as a reporter, you always sort of use that test in your mind. Like, okay, is what the district attorney is telling me makes sense? And in that sense, it absolutely does. You know, when you sort of have your, in your own sort of reporter gut, is, is does this even add up? Can it be that they actually have more crime? And so my argument, first of all, would be as because this is a cash industry and there's mountains of cash everywhere, I, I think it does become more enticing, right? This is a juicy target for bad guys. They also uh, mentioned illegal grows, the prevalence of that. Thanks for reminding me. So uh, I'm not saying in our story that illegal grows don't happen now, that pot grow houses don't exist. But what happens when, this is according to the district attorney and the sheriff up there, what happens when you legalize it is that one, the appetite from law enforcement to bust anyone for any kind of pot-related crime goes away, right? They just like, okay, the, you know, the, our lawmakers are telling us this no longer matters. They're not interested in this. And, and, and that's a reality. I mean, cops have a certain posture. And if they're hearing from the, law, the roundhouse, hey, this is not, you know, leave these people alone, they'll be the first people to say, okay, you know, you guys deal with it then. I think even just on an Albuquerque level, and we've all seen living in this community discussion out there about the prosecutors and the police locally saying, we don't have time to focus on these types of crimes. We have to focus on these other ones. And one of them, I think in particular is traffic law. There's not a whole robust unit to deal with a lot of traffic enforcement in Albuquerque because there's so many other We're problems. strapped resources. A perfect example, Chris, that there's a whole category of crime that just sort of falls off the table because there's, there's just no room for it. But the other aspect to this is that once you have legal pot, it gets really hard, even if you are hungry as a, a police department to police this sort of stuff. And now we're talking about the illegal pot in the, in the, in the community. 
it just makes it that much harder because if you smell pot in a car, you don't have probable cause to start an investigation. You can't call the dogs and say, we're going to search it. Well, because you, even today, before we actually have retail sales of recreational pot, even today, you can have up to two ounces per person in a car, right? On your person. That's legal. So it, it, it really complicates it. And the same is true in, in the prosecutor, if you watch these pieces, one of the things he asked New Mexico to do, he said, you guys absolutely should not let people grow pot in their houses. My advice to America would be get growing marijuana out of homes. Get it out of homes. Let's, if we're going to treat it like alcohol, by God, let's treat it like alcohol, which we don't do right now. We treat it as special. And, and part of the problem they've seen is that all these, these grows happen in fairly nice neighborhoods, fairly nice houses, because the bigger the house, the more pot you can grow. And the bigger the house, probably the more distance you have from your neighbors. And so it's easier to hide what you're doing. But if a, if a cop see, you know, goes to the door and sees pot growing inside a house, that's not illegal, right? Those could be your personal use up to six you know, mature adult use plants right now. So that makes it really hard for them to bust that kind of stuff. And the thieves, according to the prosecutor we talked to, know this. I mean, the, when I say the thieves, the... Um, the people involved in growing and selling and distributing illegal pot, either in, in, in Colorado communities or shipping it back east where it's still illegal. So it's worth way more if you can get it, say, to Connecticut. So that, that's the other complication, that as soon as you have legal pot in an area, it just put it, it puts an extra burden on law enforcement to police it. And it also, uh, may, and the growers know this, make it much easier to get away with, with, with grow houses. So the idea is that you, I'm sure we have a grow house here and there in, in Albuquerque. We, According to these people, we are going to see many more. And, and that, again, is a perspective. It's a guess. I mean, we'll certainly see what happens. Um, I think that's maybe an important thing to make clear here is that your reporting is based on perspective. Well, it's an experience. It's not a guess. I mean, these people have lived this experience. The prosecutor that we talked to in the 18th Judicial District, which is f four counties wrapped right around Denver, I think it may be the biggest judicial district in Colorado, he, he had to assign extra prosecutors to this type of illegal growth stuff to sort it out and to, and to get out and to, and to try to tamp it down. What I ended up having to do was take this senior prosecutor who runs this organized crime unit now, and more than 50% of her time was dedicated to nothing but illegal marijuana grows. So he's had that experience, and I guess I just don't see why it wouldn't follow that New Mexico will have the same problem. Now, if, if somehow in the country every state made pot legal at once, I can see where suddenly you level the playing field and it doesn't really make sense to grow a bunch of pot here and try to ship it somewhere, right? I mean, suddenly that financial incentive goes away. So that is also part of the problem. I And, and personally, and I'm not here to give my opinions, but personally, I think we may, ha we may suffer some of these crimes and, and a wave of grow houses until we get a broad, regulated, uh, even playing field. On in, the federal level. In, on the federal yeah. level. It, and that, that will help the banking situation and that will also disincentivize this whole... Get, get rid of this incentive to, to move stuff out of state. And then it may start to look like what was promised, which is just like alcohol. Right. That's what that's what got me thinking in, in your piece where he was saying, you know, it makes it easier for people to grow their cannabis in Colorado and then mark it up and sell it on the East Coast where there's still an incentive there because it's not legal in every state. But you raise a good point. You know, would that still be a problem? Would there still be that financial incentive if it were legal in every state? Um, I also wanted to mention, obviously, this is a concern maybe for parents because it's just a whole new um, way of life, really, making recreational cannabis uh, legal in New Mexico. So in your story, Dean, you heard from the head 
of harm reduction for Denver Public Schools, which they have about 200 schools in that district. Her concerns were a lot surrounding the THC levels, that cannabis in the community is much higher potency than maybe the voters knew about and how that can potentially impact younger children. So if you could give us a perspective, like what were her concerns? What was your takeaway? So this is a woman um, who's a social worker, um, you know, very well educated, has been working in this field for, uh, I think, more than 20 years now. She's the head of the harm reduction department for all of Denver Public Schools, which means basically keeping kids off alcohol, off of pot, um, and creating an environment where there's not bullying, and, you know, creating a nice, safe environment for these kids to, to thrive. She is concerned very much about the, the, the toxicity, is sort of her term, of this marijuana because it's not, and, she, and, and, and she'll say this, we didn't vote for this pot, right? She lives in Denver proper. She, she feels like, I th- and, and my sense is that she's not philosophically opposed to legal pot, but her position is, look, I don't think we, the voters really voted for this level of concentration of pot. People were thinking about, oh, the pot we had in the 70s or maybe even the 80s that was sort of like, I don't know, homegrown or that, that was not these, these hybrids and highly, highly concentrated by design types of pot. And then, if, and then her biggest concern is that these are all kids. And, and let me jump into the numbers for just a moment. The, the good news from Colorado was that the teenagers, based on a survey, and again, there's not a, a ton of hard data out there, but one of the surveys that, this, that is fairly legitimate um, that the state legislature asked for five years into legal pot showed that there was not an increase of uh, either middle schoolers or high schoolers, teenagers, increase in smoking pot. So there are about one in five Colorado teenagers is smoking pot. And that number did not go up when it became legal. So that's good news. Her point is they're smoking a different kind of pot and she's worried about brain development. You know, we all know that there's certain, you know, the frontal frontal cortex of your brain doesn't come in until you're, I think, 25 when you're really mature in, in terms of uh, your entire brain function and rationality and different things. Um, and so she's really concerned about that same population using a product that really will have, uh, she fears, uh, um, effects on IQ, on behavior, on, on the way the brain is wired, especially if they're, you know, really intense smokers. In fact, one of the things she said to me is like, look, if you're going to smoke pot, wait till you're 25. If you don't wait till you're 25, please do it. I'd rather you do it when you're 20 than when you're 16, right? I'd rather you do it when you're 16 than when you're 12. So she's really looking at this as a physiological sort of thing. The brain is developing over all these years. It's a crucial time for brain development, for um, executive function developing in your brain. And she's concerned that um, these kids are sort of on the, you know, are are dealing with a substance that that they treat way too casually. Ultimately, it does sound like these are conversations she's definitely encouraging parents to have with their kids. Though even, you know, school-aged children as young as elementary, she was saying, you know, talk to your kids about this because it's going to be around them, similar to alcohol, I guess, in that respect, but definitely encouraging those conversations. Yeah. And she said, you know, you won't have the same conversation you have with your five-year-old that you will with your 16-year-old, but you, it's always, it's never too early to talk about putting good things in your body, to be, being, you know, always be careful about what you put in your body. Let's not put stuff on our bodies that harm us. And, I, and that was sort of her, her, her posture on this. And it seemed really, you know, sort of smart and helpful. And I think it's something every parent should think about. One of the things that has always come out of the discussion about recreational marijuana and recreational cannabis is the idea of the economic impact. As of 2019, Colorado's marijuana industry was worth a reported more than billion. A Leafly report says that in 
industry translates to more than 30,000 jobs. In New Mexico, a UNM professor and economist warns that the state may not be directly comparable in terms of the figures it will see compared to Colorado because we're a smaller state. Our economy is somewhat less developed and Colorado also beat us to legalization by 10 years. So I wanted to ask in the perspective of some of the folks that you talked to, did they have anything to say about the economic impacts that maybe Colorado has from recreational marijuana? No, I absolutely talked to everyone we interviewed about this about the financial side. The promise, just as we were talking about the promise of legal pot would do away with the criminal side of it, which turns out is not the experience of, of many people in Colorado. Um, the, the, the promise has also been this, there's gonna be this absolutely huge economic windfall. Um, Michelle Holine, who's this uh, social worker, she's the head of harm prevention for Denver Public Schools. She has a staff of fewer than 10 total for 200 schools in Denver. And she is funding some of those salaries by asking for grants. And, and that money does come from some of this, this, this pot sale. So it does come from the revenue that the state is getting, but she has been very disappointed. She feels like she doesn't have near the personnel that she needs in order to do effectively do the job in all the, the, the public schools. So for her, it's, you know, there's not this massive windfall where she just has a blank check to hire as many people as she needs to get her job done. To that note, I, I recall that DPS about five years ago released even a video um, sort of putting it out there online, specifically stating the district did not or does not get a quote, significant amount of funding from marijuana taxes. So I know the district has even said and tried to put that message out there that there is no real cash windfall here, I guess. Yes, and, and you can you can imagine why they do that because they want the parents to know like, look, don't, you know, don't think that we're fat all of a sudden and that we have this massive tidal wave of cash forming from pot and raise your expectations about what we can accomplish. We, we, that never came to us is what they're saying. And I, and, and I think that's, you know, that's a fair statement. They don't feel like the, the school system certainly does not feel like they got rich off of, you know, legal pot. The prosecutor um, is spending way more money. Um, this is George Brockler, former district attorney for the 18th Judicial District. Uh, absolutely clear that he has had to spend more resources on pot than he ever has. And he didn't think that was going to be the case. I mean, he was there when legal pot first started and he thought, well, I'll have to assign a few, you know, assistant DAs to handle some of this and had to stand up a whole unit based on, you know, pot grows and the other crimes related to it. And the sheriff feels the same way. There's not some windfall on his part. Now, if you look at the numbers, there is a, a large amount of that money that I think has gone into social programs. So it's not like there's no money from pot in Colorado. Um, but certainly the people we talked to felt like, look, don't be fooled by this, that this is some panacea. I would also caution, Chris, you use that stat that was a, a billion and something. That to me is, I'm guessing that is not the number that is actually like came into the state's coffers. When you hear economic impact, you, all three of us, we've been reporters for a long time and we know when you hear that, sometimes you're talking about, okay, how many jobs, how many, and when those people go out and, you know, when the guy with the, who works at the pot farm makes money and he, he goes out and spends money, that gets counted as well. So I think those economic impact numbers are always a little, you know, we, we always, as reporters, we look at them a little sideways and say, okay, what are you counting? And I'm just pointing out that I think the number for actual revenue, like extra revenue that came into the coffers of the, um, the, the state of Colorado is far less than that. And it's a tiny fraction of their overall budget. And I was going to say, we, we did find the state of Colorado, they say it's kind of one of their most frequent 
questions that comes up. And there is information on the state's website there about where their marijuana tax revenue goes. Um, just some of the, the really basic numbers. A lot of it goes into school construction, um, but there are other things, Dean, you outlined like um, social programs and whatnot. There's early literacy grants, school health professional grants, school bullying prevention, dropout prevention programs, state public school fund. So certainly there is money that goes there, but it's also distributed amongst a lot of different entities and divisions. It's not infinite, so to speak. Yeah, well, like the lottery, right? I mean, we were promised when the lottery would come along that it would solve a lot of economic problems. And, you know, and then the, the legislature at some point has to pour money into the lottery fund because um, right. it, it wasn't all that it was promised or it gets used more than they thought it would or the number of people playing the lottery drops off after the initial sort of, you know, buzz of it. So, yeah, these kinds of programs, I think, often as a reporter, you see come with a big promise and you always have to be careful sort of keeping track of whether they deliver. There's a lot more that we want to talk about in relation to recreational cannabis and New Mexico from prospective producers taking on this new industry to even how law men and women are looking to enforce the new laws that are happening here in the state. Those episodes are ahead. For more on this one, we have links to Dean's stories and whatnot in the show notes on krqe.com slash podcasts. Yeah, and in the meantime, you can reach us via email. I'm gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com or on Twitter at gburknm. And I am Chris McKee TV on Twitter, also on email. I am chris.mckee at krqe.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>